This is the Prophetic Politics Podcast. I'm Nick Rodriguez. I'm Tabidi Anyabwile. All right, so today we're going to take on a policy question that, um, it, you know, it's really kind of in the news all the time, and that's that of guns and gun control. Mm, yeah, a critical issue in our time, and particularly as we witness things like school shootings and uh, or as we just witness the, the violence that goes on in many neighborhoods yeah. uh, with where guns are involved. So, Nick, why, why this question? Why is it an issue? Why take it up? Why talk about it? Yep. So the question begins with really this question of whether the government is even allowed to regulate guns uh, because of the Second Amendment to our Constitution. So that amendment reads, and this is a, qu- a direct quote, a well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Uh, so the prevailing interpretation of this amendment today, um, codified by our Supreme Court, is that the Constitution prohibits the government from infringing on every single individual's right to own and to use guns, to keep and to bear uh, arms. Now, meanwhile, you just made reference to it, the BD, there is a lot of gun violence in America. So just a couple of statistics, um, and we'll put the links in the show notes here. We have a lot of guns. <laughs> we have more than half the civilian-owned firearms in the world. We have about 4.4% of the f- world's population and half of the world's civilian-owned guns. Wow. And uh, that totals over 300 million, enough for a gun for every man, woman, and child in America. Wow. Now, um, we also have six times as many gun deaths per capita as Canada, our neighbor to the north, and the most gun deaths in the de- gun deaths in the developed world by this measure by a long shot, right? So second place is like Switzerland, and mm. it's like seven per million, and for us it's twenty nine per million. The research suggests, and those two data, data points I've just given you, the research suggests that the two are correlated, right? The more guns there are in a country or a jurisdiction, uh, the more gun deaths there will generally be. And by the way, to your point, some of these are mass shootings. Some of these are kind of violence related to crime. A large surprising proportion are suicides. Mm. Just an access to guns makes it easier for people to commit suicide using a gun. Uh, Now, balanced against that, sort of there's a clear interest there. Like it would be great if fewer people died, Mm. right? It would be great if fewer people died at the hands of guns. Balanced against that is this idea of a particular right that must be protected, the right enshrined in the Second Amendment. Um, And actually, I'll say, I'll say, Two kind of thing, two kind of threads that are underneath that right for most people who are kind of strong Second Amendment supporters. Right, thread one is kind of the the right to individual self defense. Right, like I would like to be able to have a gun because I would like to be able to defend my home, my family, my children, any number, or just myself. The second thread, which is more kind of speaks specifically to the text of the amendment, um, is uh, the right to almost a reserved right. Right to engage in armed rebellion against a tyrannical government, right? So a, a, a person who supports the Second Amendment with this reading will say it's kind of the last check and balance against a government getting out of hand. And, of course, it goes back to revolutionary times uh, when, of course, the British, you know, uh, did not allow uh, many of the colonists to have guns, and uh, they, ne- they never wanted to see that happen again in case the government got out of hand again. So that's kind of the debate, this kind of right to bear arms versus the sort of what not everyone will agree with this, but what seems to be the kind of clear harm that having lots of guns uh, creates in terms of these sort of deaths from guns um, that occur. Um, so yeah, th- those are sort of the foundations of the issue. Um, how, yeah. how well do you think the, the contemporary interpretation of the Second Amendment fits with 
the sort of founder's intent. And I know that, and again, I know yeah, this yeah. is realm for debate, but, but how well do you think our understanding today matches what the framers had in mind? So there's debate about this, sure. right? So a, conser a, a conservative would tell you perfectly, mm. right? This was always about everyone having a gun. If everyone has a gun, then no one can be dominated sort of completely. Mm. The kind of historical view of this, uh, I'm sorry, some, some historians would tell you that actually, if you look at the text, a well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, that is all a preamble that gives the reason why the amendment is there, mm. right? Um, and um, the right of the people to keep and bear arms, it, there were some who'd argue that applies to militias. It applies to kind of organized and particularly state militias. So That's remember, right. we're adopting a constitution that establishes this federal government that has this power over the states. And there was a concern, and much of the Bill of Rights is about this concern, right, mm -hmm. for the rights of the states, um, that kind of state militias, which actually served many functions back then, law enforcement, any number of things, would be disbanded by the federal government. So if you look at kind of the, what looks like the original public meaning, um, you could make the argument um, that it's not the same mm -hmm. intent. And uh, one other thing to note is that for centuries, right, there were uh, sort of constitutional scholars referred to the Second Amendment as kind of the lost amendment, because mm -hmm. it only showed up like three times mm -hmm. in Supreme Court cases up through about like the mid 20th century. Mm -hmm. uh, but then there begins this kind of movement to kind of push this meaning of the Second Amendment that is essentially the common understanding today. Right. This idea of it defends the kind of right of everybody to have a gun. And that movement, if, if, if I'm correct me if I'm wrong, that, that movement really is the 1970s and, and forward. Yep, right? that's so, right. So when people are thinking that the Second Amendment is guaranteeing individual right to bear arms and thinking that that's the, always been the intent, uh, I, th I think they fail to realize actually how new an idea that is yep. uh, in terms of uh, reflection on this amendment in the Constitution and, and its sort of origin there. Yeah. Yeah. And it was only in the last decade um, in a decision known as Heller, Heller. Um, that, that, that the Supreme Court actually kind of said, this is what we think the Second Amendment means. Mm -hmm. um, and you could argue that was a result of the push by this movement over the last several decades mm -hmm. to put people onto the court who had that who held that interpretation so right. to speak so it's always kind of interesting just a, a little side maybe a, maybe a little jab always kind of interesting to watch the sort of strict constitutionalists you know who also hold to this contemporary understanding of the second amendment to make that argument for the second amendment it's like well uh I know that's not strictly right. <laughs> exegeting the meaning of the constitution there so yeah 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 absolutely no i i, I agree with you and i think too if you look at the so, so it's interesting. The debate as it currently plays out seems to be one of, well, you know, the, a conservative might tell you it would be nice to reduce gun deaths, but can't, can't uh, do so at the expense of this right that's in the Second Amendment. My hands are tied, many, many actually, on that side of the debate would say. But I actually want to ask an even more provocative question, which I think is the question the Christian ought to ask. Putting aside the question of whether or not the Second Amendment means that, should it mean that, right? Should there be a Second Amendment that protects this right, right? And should a Christian be in favor of such a thing? If we, if it were on the ballot, right, should we be in favor of it as Christians? So to be my question for you as we think about the biblical foundations here is, what does the Bible tell us about these two kind of threads I brought up, the sort of right to self-defense and the rights of individuals to sort of resist a tyrannical government with force, in this case, the force of arms? 
Yeah, I think if we're just trying to reason from the Bible alone and, and not sort of from a, a broader theological tradition um, that um, takes into account, you know, natural law and other kinds of arguments, uh, I, I think we're going to find the material fairly sparse, hmm. right? Um, so obviously, you know, 2,000 years ago, nobody's thinking about guns. Uh, so we're talking chariots and spears and things of that sort. Um, and so people who want to say, and I've heard this, it's, it's always kind of shocking to me, those Christians who sort of talk about their Second Amendment right like it's a biblical right, right, have very clearly conflated Yes. Um, their sense of politics in the Constitution with the Bible. So there's there's no text in the Bible that I can think of that could be pointed to in context that gives a justification for uh, this sort of individual right to bear arms kind of mm-hmm. thing. But but of course that's not the that's not the whole of the question, right? So you're right. you're asking about what the Bible says about self defense, and and there too you won't you won't find that phrase in the Bible. Right. But let me point you to a couple of places where it it, it sort of comes up a bit. Right. One place, interestingly, is in Esther. Uh, Esther hmm. chapter 8, verses 10 and 11. Uh, there, uh, Mordecai has, has been uh, successful in engaging with the king. Esther has been successful in taking her stand. The king sends his scribes throughout the whole region to give this decree. And here's a decree uh, in verses 10 and 11. And he wrote in the name of King Ahasuerus and sealed it with the king's signet ring. Then he sent the letters by mounted couriers riding on swift horses that were used in the king's service, bred from the royal stud. So this, this, is, this is the Pony Express for real, right? right. <laughs> and this is, this is the message saying, verse 11, that the king allowed the Jews who were in every city to gather and defend their lives, to destroy, to kill, and to annihilate any armed force of any people or province hmm. that might attack them children and women included, and to plunder their goods. Now, that sounds a lot like the Second Amendment, actually. Yeah, it kind of does. You know, you can organize <laughs> yourself into a well-regulated militia right. for the purpose of, of self-defense, right? And so that that's maybe one of the clearest illustrations mm. of something like that happening in the Scripture. Other places in the Scripture, though, um, particularly in the New Testament, um, really put us in the posture of being willing to suffer. Mm. and being willing to lay down our lives. So when Jesus, speaking with the disciples in Luke 12, 11, um, tells them about a time that's coming when they'll be arrested and taken into the synagogues and tried, he says, do not defend yourself or even think about what you will say, for the Holy Spirit will tell you what to say You know, mm. in that moment. Or you come down to Acts chapter 7, verse 24, where the writer of Acts is thinking not so much about self-defense, he's thinking about Moses in that context. And he points back to Moses' killing of the Egyptian soldier Mm. in defense of um, fellow Israelites. Uh, So the clearest places, I think, um, the the Bible gives us sort of something that resembles defense. It's actually not self-defense. It's usually defense of others, Mm. defense of the vulnerable, standing in for them. Uh, you see that again alluded in Proverbs 31, 9, you know, to speak up for the vulnerable, defend the, um, defend the vulnerable in that way. Mm. Otherwise, Romans 13, uh, Peter's letter, we're actually called to submit to authority. We're actually called to submit to government, even when those governments are themselves unjust and wicked. It, it's a, the Bible's ethics around this are, are, really, are really naughty. Uh, they're, mm. they're not sort of, um, here's a text, a proof text, put your finger on it. And this is what we always do. 
Um, there are times where we're called to, to lay down our lives and die yep. and suffer for righteousness sakes. And there's time where we're called to defend others uh, who are being mistreated. Uh, and at least in that Old Testament context with, um, with, with Israel, with the Jews, uh, there with Mordecai and Esther, uh, there are times where the Bible uh, sort of clearly illustrates that God's people are, are organized for self-defense. Yeah. Even then, though, that right was granted by the government. In that, in that case, that right was granted by the government. Now, there are other times, of course, when Israel as a nation state, and, and that's a different category yeah. than the individual bearing arms, where Israel as a nation state mm-hmm. uh, is, is called to conquer other nations, to take the land, are, are sent into uh, conflict. But, of course, there, again, we're not talking about individual right to bear arms. There, we're sort of working through something that resembles more just war theory. Yeah, uh, that's right. And, and traditional ideas of, of sort of powers fighting against each other, not just a guy protecting his home and his family uh, with, with a couple of shotguns or pistols. Right, right. So let me, um, let me, uh, so, so I, I want to sh- share a view that I'm sure will be provocative and be curious about your reaction to it. But just reading this and thinking about it and thinking even about American history, it's not clear to me where, where there's sort of a biblical category for taking up arms in rebellion against your government, mm-hmm. given what you've just said, mm-hmm. right, about submitting to authority. It's not so. I'll, I'll take this one step further. It's not clear to me if you're a Christian living in the 1770s in the British colonies um, that you can in good conscience join the rebellion. Like, you're, you're maybe bound to be a loyalist. C- certainly the Christians on the other side of the pond thought you were bound to Indeed. be a lawyer. Right. <laughs> Indeed they did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, so no, it's not, it's not clear that it, in, in precisely that way. Um, the, the revolutionary force in the Bible, in the New Testament, in the New Covenant, is not arms. Hmm. It's love. Hmm. That's what Paul appeals to, for example, when he sends Onesimus back to Philemon, I appeal to you on the basis of love. And that's what Paul, that's what Jesus appeals to in terms of how we engage our enemies. Love your enemies. The, the really transformative and, and revolutionary thing is not force. It is not power. Uh, it's not weaponry. Uh, it's love. Our warfare is not carnal. You know? um, and so there, there is uh, an element of the scripture that is trying to teach us what our real battle is, what our real warfare is, uh, and that has to say something to this mm-hmm. question of bearing arms and, and the use of arms and something like um, revolt against government authority. Yeah. Now, you'd put that in a different category, Thabiti, from, you know, again, if, if uh, maybe the government's doing something unjust and they are attacking me and my family and I, and I happen to have a gun, am I, am I justified in, in responding with force if I feel like what the government's doing is to, to protect my family to protect the vulnerable to protect others it's going to be de- for me it's going to depend yeah. on, on a lot of details sure. right um so 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 general a, a hypothetical is is difficult to answer yeah um so it's going to depend on a, on a lot of details he, here's what here's what i seems clear to me in the bible R- romans chapter 13 that government authority is limited and it's limited to rewarding the good punishing the evil mm-hmm. and is limited by the conscience so I do not understand that government can legitimately coerce us to do things that are contrary to conscience, contrary to God's word, right. contrary to Christian faith, right? So 
Um, you, you think the three Hebrew boys, you, you just think the, the midwives in Egypt. I mean, there's all these examples of civil disobedience that, that don't amount to armed rebellion, mm. uh, but very clearly illustrations of how, uh, as people of faith, there are limitations to government power, right, yeah. that, that we, we can resist in various ways, whether or not that includes uh, armed rebellion. Now, here's the other thing I would want to go on and say. It seems also clear to me that our bodies do not belong to our governments. Mm-hmm. Our bodies and our lives, therefore, belong to God. Yeah. Um, and so we're made in God's image. That, that image is meant to be protected in things like laws against uh, murder. Uh, I think by implication, laws against then oppression. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, is, it seems clear to me, 1 Corinthians 6, other places, again, uh, our bodies are not ours, even to do with what we wish to do with. Um, and so I think, again, growing out of that then is, is a kind of, I could go on to make moral law arguments or, or natural law arguments, mm. um, but the sort of scriptural text in terms of being very specific, black and white, um, I, I'm, I'm at a loss to find texts that give direct credence to something like revolt against government. Let me give you something slightly more specific, but also slightly, it's unfortunately it's, it's extreme. Uh, so, you know, the, the, I think, uh, uh, so if you think about like you're living in, um, you know, in, in 1930s Germany mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, they're coming for the, the Jewish household next door to you. Mm-hmm. Right. And, um, separate question about duty to defend, but if you want to defend, and or try to somehow stop that from happening. What are you allowed to do? What do you maybe? What maybe? What are you bound to do? It's a good question, uh, yeah. and I think that we could have interesting debate. For for my part, um, I would feel conscience bound uh, to protect those lives. Yeah. Right. Even at the risk of my own life, uh, I would I would want to in the first instance try to do that without taking life. Mm. Right. So I think in that sense, the Underground Railroad. If I'm switching context. Yep. 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 The Underground Railroad is a better solution to protecting the lives of slaves than is, say, Nat Turner or Denmark Vesey's rebellion, yeah. right? Um, but this is this is what's hard. I'm hard-pressed to argue against Nat Turner or Denmark Vesey's rebellion or, right. or, or a revolt on the Amistad, uh, for example. Sure. Um, those are more, I think, in, in that example, are, are more akin to acts of war, really. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and responding in acts of war and defending life um, in those particular examples. I defending just the vulnerable is the common denominator in all those That's cases, exactly as you right. said. That's yeah. exactly right, which to, to me seems to be very clear in Scripture. In, mm-hmm. in Moses' example, uh, in the teaching in Proverbs 31, 8, 9, uh, and so on. Yeah. Coming back around to the Second Amendment then, could we say that while the Bible certainly doesn't require it or root it, that prudentially— it may be a helpful thing for such cases as those. The Second Amendment? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, the yeah. idea of a right to keep arms. Yeah. The idea it, of a right to bear arms. I mean, you know, from my perspective, the problem isn't the Second Amendment. Mm. The problem is the interpretation of the laws that we have around the Second Amendment. Yep. Right? Um, so I think one could have a, a healthy practice of the Second Amendment if they're driven by self-defense or defensive neighbor or what have you. Um but still have laws that would go a long way in rightly controlling uh, things like mass shootings and, and all these other kinds of things that I think all people of good conscience are troubled by. Um, so for me, it's not the amendment that's the problem. Um, it, it's, a, it's our current interpretation and, and the sort of laws that we use to apply 
and address the amendment. Yep. And just to get specific about about that, the kind of issues that tend to come up, right, are the sort of, well, what kind of weapons can you get, mm -hmm. right? How kind of military style or automatic are those weapons? Mm -hmm. um, and how, um, how easily available are they? Mm -hmm. And what kind of licensing or background check system is there and what criteria do it operate on? Those, are the, those seem to be the kind of fault lines of the debate. Yeah, well, and they're inescapable questions. Yeah. You, you're going to have a policy that allows somebody or nobody or everybody Right to purchase a gun, you you got to make a decision about that. Yep. You, you're you're going to have policies that that have to define what what constitutes an inappropriate weapon yep. uh, to be owned by an individual um, with without training. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know. So so those are inescapable questions. Every side of the debate has to answer them. And what Christians have to do is kind of weigh in, not merely with answers to that those questions, but where you were trying to go to in your earlier question, I think Christians have to sort of come in in the sort of sub-level, right? Mm -hmm. and, and sort of answer the question about what's the good life? You know, mm -hmm. what, what, what's the moral basis? What, what's the virtue uh, we're trying to encourage uh, in, in this whole question of yeah. gun ownership and so on? Um, yeah. I mean, that's a good point because I think there are, there are some conservatives who I think might be sympathetic to that view, mm -hmm. but they would say... Again, my hands are tied. The Second Amendment, just it's an absolute right, right? There, there just isn't really, they wouldn't, there isn't really a limiting principle, and therefore, this is just kind of what we have to live with, so mm -hmm. to speak. But I think we actually ought to, we ought to question that. Mm -hmm. um, and we ought to sort of um, kind of look at it more closely. Oh, well, we have to question that. It's yeah. a cop-out, yeah. right? Uh, so, so as long as there's shooters um, going into Columbine, going into Parkland, park going mm -hmm. into schools, killing kids, as long as there's shooters just across the street from where we're sitting right now, yeah. um, in in our neighborhoods, uh, we've got to do more than than simply say, "Ah, my hands are bound by the Second Amendment." We have to first of all recognize that the Second Amendment is itself an amendment, mm -hmm. right? Yep, that's right. <laughs> so that's there's, right. Not, there's nothing wrong for us passing other amendments if need be, yep. uh, and certainly nothing wrong with us passing statutes at the state level, local level, and the federal level. Um, and so we we've got to muster more courage and conviction. Um, around this set of issues. But I think that has to begin with a commitment to a particular view, defining a particular view of the good life uh, and what's virtuous and, and what's right and just in society. Yep. All right, Thabiti, I'm going to throw another difficult hypothetical at you. Although it's, it's I mean, it's not a hypothetical. It's a thing that happens. Um, the sort of case of the um, anti-abortion activist who thinks they should take matters into their own hands uh, when it comes to protecting the unborn, that might mean using the gun they have uh, to kill a doctor, torture a clinic, whatever it may be. Mm -hmm. Well, how, how do we think about that in terms of this, this value of defending the vulnerable, the other laws that come into play, and, and things like that? Well, I think we have to make a real distinction between that kind of action and what I think, in sort of an original reading of the Second Amendment, is calling for in terms of organized militias. And we have to make a distinction between that kind of action um, and the kind of calls in the Bible or historical examples to defend the poor against oppression. Here's a distinction I think we'd make there. The folks who go to El Amina Castle in West Africa and kidnap or purchase slaves, hmm. transport them across the Atlantic, uh, enslave them physically, hmm. take away freedom, all the things that go along with that, are engaged very directly 
in a, in a systematic um, abuse of those persons, a, a robbing of their li- liberty, and so on. Yep. The folks who are enslaved are not volunteering. This yep. is not an act of their agency or will. Hmm. The disanalogy with abortion hmm. is that I think many the abortion clinic shooter is trying to get between the abortion doctor and the baby. Mm-hmm. But really what they have to do is get between the mom and the baby. Yeah. Right? The mom is there acting, for, for good reasons or bad, is acting on uh, an ability to choose, exercising a right that sadly is extended in this country, um, and, and therefore doing something that's really quite different than the slave uh, who's being forcibly kidnapped and, and enslaved. Um, and so when we're talking about the kinds of rebellions that we, we think of in, in slavery, uh, those, those are folks trying to get between the oppressor who's enslaving mm. uh, and, the, and the, the marginalized, the, the, the slave, to defend yeah. the slave. That's not the dynamic in the abortion clinic shooting. The, the other thing that's different is uh, that shooter mm. in the abortion clinic situation, uh, I pray that we don't have any more, but, but those shooters actually had uh, other avenues yeah. to work against that issue. Um, law, advocacy, and so on. Slaves didn't. And many yeah. oppressed people don't have other avenues. And so that that um, that oppression, when it takes that form, actually kind of squeezes the, the toothpaste out in the form of, of rebellion in that way. Uh, it's the only sort of recourse to protect something more fundamentally important, that is, my life belongs to God, mm-hmm. um, than to protect the right of someone to own another or enslave another and so on. Uh, no, I think that's really important, and I think too, there is there is something here around just a, it's not it's not in the Bible, but the basic. Well, I mean, there's it's sort of derivable from the Bible. There's the idea that like you know you can't right a wrong with another wrong, mm. um, and that while defending the unborn is a worthy cause, and we'll have a whole episode about that at mm. some point, um, that it doesn't justify breaking another very serious law, law against murder, mm. um, you know, one murder. Yeah. And, and, and I, I do think that's important in having that recourse there. And then I think the other thing I would say is there's a certain pragmatism when we think about rebellion. So I think there are two categories of this type of use of force. What we're describing here with the abortion doctor is sort of the use of force to literally prevent the perpetrator from perpetrating, mm-hmm. right? Like to prevent in, uh, the, the analogy in slavery would be to prevent, prevent the slave master from exercising a certain prerogative as a slave master, mm-hmm. uh, or to prevent the German soldiers from coming in and taking away this family, mm-hmm. right? That is different from, I'm rebelling against the government that makes all this possible, or that has made this official policy. Mm-hmm. Um, in both, And I, I think in both of those cases, there's a certain pragmatism about, number one, do two wrongs make a right, right? Uh, and number two, what's my kind of likelihood of success, mm-hmm. right? I think that is something that you take into account. Um, you know, if you're, for example, in Haiti and you're, there's a slave, I mean, the only sort of country in the world established by slave rebellion, mm-hmm. chances of success are actually not bad because there's more of us than there are of them, mm-hmm. right? And maybe this will actually work and we can take control. And in fact, that is what they did, mm-hmm. um, you know, versus, you know, is Nat Turner going to be successful, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, or, you know, to take another, you know, example that's widely cited, is John Brown going to be successful, mm-hmm. right? True. Um, and I think that is actually also worthy of consideration in thinking about this question of sort of when do we when do we as Christians bear and use arms? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Amen. So Nick, lay out the options, brother. Okay. I mean, we, yeah. We've been sort of talking about this in a conceptual way, um, and and in some ways trying to mine a little bit of the Bible to, for some guideposts. 
but give us a lay of the land. What 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 are folks talking about on the various sides of this debate, and um, you know how do we evaluate these things? Yep, yep. So, um, conservatives who are concerned about the issue, right? They they have that starting point of you know can't mess with the Second Amendment, but within that, here's some solutions on offer, right? So. There's the famous Wayne LaPierre quote, the guy who heads the NRA, says the only the only thing that can stop a bad guy with a gun is a good guy with a gun, mm-hmm. right? So one solution is arm more people, right? Put more, I mean, in, you know, in the case of recent school shootings, like put more uh, guns in the hands of the teachers themselves. Um, I think that there is... Um, uh, the the other the other kind of avenues that conservatives will tend to pursue are kind of things like, well, this is a mental health issue and we should really have stronger checks around that. Um... And then I think a third one, um, which our producer reminded us of, um, is just this idea of, um, you know, kind of like spotting the red flags and um, having people kind of notice the signs, right, that someone's going to be going to kind of misuse a gun sooner. So the the example they point to most recently is the Parkland shooting in Florida. And they say, like, you know, the FBI didn't see the signs or they, they saw them and didn't do anything about them. Local law enforcement failed. There was a failure of government to protect. Um, so what if, right, the community that sees those signs can sort of band together and, you know, sort of uh, create a temporary restraining order for a person they think is dangerous, mm-hmm. right? So there's a local element to that that's attractive. There's a kind of a crowdsourcing. Um, the idea would be like, you know, people who are genuinely interested in prevention in the context of everyone being allowed to have a gun would say that's the kind of solution. Mm-hmm. What do you think of those, Thabiti? Yeah, I, I, personally? Yeah. Yeah, those most of those aren't, aren't solutions for me. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't I don't think we fix our gun problem by multiplying guns, you know, getting more guns. I certainly don't think we fix our school shooting problem by putting guns in the hands of teachers. That's not what teachers are trained to do and prepared to do in in many cases. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I'll, it, to be honest, if we sort of inject this, um, I, I worry about the sort of implicit bias. That many people have along ethnic or racial lines, yeah, uh, and and what this will mean for if we're talking about schools, for example, what this will mean for black boys and black girls in school sure. settings, um, yeah. if people are sort of carrying those biases and fears, and and now they're armed to act upon them. Uh, we yeah. we've seen videos of resource officers, um, you know, aggressively manhandling girls and boys in a classroom. Yeah, that's I, right. I don't want their hand on a gun in that situation, right? Mm. Uh, so I just think that's a, I think that's a bad idea. The sort of um, violence begets more violence. Um, eye for an eye, two for a tooth kind of logic, right? Um, seems to me to be a, a, a really misguided direction to take. The kinds of things that we could do to sort of increase direct flags and the alerts and respond to those properly, uh, I'm, I'm all for that. I'm, yeah. I'm all for that. Uh, the kinds of things we could do uh, you sometimes uh, hear hear some of the folks on in, in the sort of conservative wing talking about, yeah, we need to do more for mental health on these mental health issues. Amen. Let, let's let's do more of that. Um, figure out how to do that well. And so there's some things that are useful, but the sort of overall strategy of of just continuing unfettered access um, to the kinds of guns that um, really are are weapons of warfare. Yeah. Um, that that's problematic. That's deeply problematic for me. All right, so that brings us to, of course, the um, solutions on the other side. What would the average liberal progressive Democrat say? Uh, so there's a range. There's obviously, they, it starts with the solutions that kind of have like majority polling support among Americans. This is kind of where they hope to start, right? Mm-hmm. They'll say ban bump stocks, which are these things that convert semi 
semi-automatic weapons into automatic ones. Mm -hmm. uh, ban assault weapons, which we did for a time in the 90s. That's right. Um, you know, which are kind of in that broad category. Um, and then, uh, then you start to get into um, things like let's you know like so looking to other countries right so like the australia buyback example is the mm -hmm. one that gets cited the most often right so uh, a few decades ago australia after a couple of mass shootings basically did this sort of large kind of licensing compliance program and then your choice was either become compliant or sell your gun back to the government number of guns in circulation dropped precipitously although not to zero i should note and then gun crime dropped as well mm. Um, conservatives start to get real nervous about that one because mm -hmm. it's a, sort of a take our guns kind of thing. And then finally, of course, what we were talking about, there's the, well, why do we have a Second Amendment? Maybe we should change it, would be mm -hmm. the kind of most radical uh, kind of uh, school there, right? Mm -hmm. uh, in, in, in terms of the way that that's interpreted. Or maybe just say, let's recover that historic mm -hmm. interpretation and say, well, it doesn't prevent us from curbing some of the most egregious abuses of, um, of guns in this country. Yeah, so what do we think of that? What do we think of those? Well, I'm I'm much more in that camp. Yeah, just yeah. as an individual. Um, my we best... should stress you don't have to be. No, right? that's, like, that's, that's exactly right. Certainly, this is all a spectrum of actually I think, that's, freedom that's exactly right. for the Christian. Yeah. Uh, and 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 we should recognize that there are some virtues, you know, in in the various camps yeah. or positions. And as Christians, I mean, part of what we're arguing on this podcast is we should feel the liberty uh, to sort of pick and choose among those virtues and to be pressing that's for right. something yeah. better than a third way. Uh, yeah. than, than that. Uh, it's hard for me to come to this topic, uh, Nick, uh, with, without a fair amount of personal uh, history and anguish. Mm. Uh, my best friend growing up was a young man named Marvin Bush. Mm. Uh, met him in middle school, and from the first time I met him, we just we joined at the hip. And uh, probably about three years ago, he was killed uh, by a young man uh, that he had some conflict with. He's standing outside of a barbershop in our hometown, talking with a mutual friend. They're just hanging out. The guy walks up, shoots him in the head. Kills him. Um, that's not the only story. Yeah. You know, uh, I have a rather strong dislike for guns, even as someone who used to own one. Yeah. Um, and and own it, sort of for the, you know, arguing about the self defense kind of thing. Um, I've changed a lot since then. Mm. Um, and and I guess. At the deepest levels, the, the reason my view has changed has a lot to do with the notion that as a Christian, I should be promoting human flourishing mm. uh, and, and should be promoting the tools that lead to human flourishing. Um, and while many Americans uh, cherish the Second Amendment and love guns and mm. use them for sport and all kinds of things, and I don't. I don't begrudge them that. Uh, I'm an American that actually feels like we should get rid of guns. Mm. Right? Uh, it actually makes self-defense easier. Hmm. You know, uh, so there's nothing contradictory about removing certain types of guns or getting rid of guns that robs us of the ability to protect ourselves. Yeah. Now, one side of this sort of conversation won't like something that I've been thinking about. It just, it just um, mm. philo philosophically be opposed to it. But if we're going to have guns, I would tax the heck out of them. <laughs> I would tax every bullet. I'd tax every gun uh, and and make it harder in that way uh, to, to have weapons and to use weapons. Um, so I'm, I'm on I'm on, you called it the radical side. I, if, if that's if that's what it is, I'm 
I'm, I'm maybe bound to Australia yeah, <laughs> or yeah. something, but that's in my own, as a matter of personal yeah. um, conviction. Um, that's, that's where I would be. And it, and it just grows up out of uh, the sense that the debate is framed wrongly. Because as as Christians, we should be actually thinking about what makes for the good life, what makes for human flourishing, what things should we be advocating for um, that actually maximizes the development, the joy, the virtue uh, of our our fellow fellow Americans and fellow Christians. Yeah, well, and if I go back to our original frame, if what we're trying to balance is human flourishing, which is to say prevention of death in this case, Mm -hmm. right? And um, this idea of kind of the right to, in its noblest form, take up arms to defend the vulnerable. I think Mm -hmm. that's kind of where we landed in thinking about that. Then I think the question is, at what level of policy have we got the right balance between those two, Mm -hmm. right? And it feels to me like a lot of the things, a lot of the arguments in favor of let's all have more guns are for goods that are less vital. Mm -hmm. That's right. I like hunting. Like, I think it's neat, right? Um, I am I am honestly concerned about, I mean, to, to get a bit more serious, I'm concerned about a tyrannical government, but again, we've just established, not only are you not likely to be successful, um, you know, in, in kind of rebelling against a government with no matter what kind of gun you got, um, but it's not clear you often have a good reason, mm-hmm. right? It's it's very it's not clear that you you know will will you will usually have a good reason for mm-hmm. that. It's so it's not so I think just as a matter of pragmatism, the good of preventing things like your friend's death may very well just outweigh the potential goods that we can talk about on the other side. And right. I think that's how that's how you can end up landing where you land, the so-called radical, mm-hmm. right? Um, and I think that the important message for kind of any Christian who's listening to this is that it's fine to end up there. Mm-hmm. Right, like the Bible does not um, prevent you from ending up there, and in fact, there are good reasons to think, right, in the promotion of human flourishing, that it is a good thing and a biblical thing to land on that part of the spectrum. Yeah, the, the, the last thing I'll say, man, is I, I do think if we if we're folks who are who want to be committed to sort of the original meaning of the Constitution as, as best as we can understand it, mm. uh, and of the Second Amendment, I, I think there's maybe something to be said for actually having laws that require well-regulated militias mm. so so that um, what what you do is you you actually say oh you could own guns but you need to be a part of a gun club you need to be part of a militia mm. uh, and that militia needs to meet um, various kinds of, of right. regulations and and laws mm. uh, and so you in that sense I would say go closer to the Constitution mm. rather than further away yep. uh, in that way because part of the the, the problem we're facing on this issue in our communities is in fact a problem of not just unregulated gun purchase and sale, it's unregulated individuals, mm. right, who are acting in ways that actually most gun owners don't act, right, and most Americans don't act. Yeah. And you say, well, w- what are the answers to that? Well, the way we're having a debate right now is all about, you know, whether or not people should be able to buy guns. Right. Well, how about we sort of maybe talk about whether or not people should own guns, whether or not they should be parts of militias. Um, and, and we have militias in this country. I'm scared of some of them. Uh, <laughs> right. Another reason to regulate well, they are, them. They are unregulated That's right. Militias, yeah. <laughs> That's another clear. reason to right. regulate yeah, them. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. But <laughs> so, uh, you know, there, there are many ways to get at this, I think. But I think we do have to start with some sense of, well, what, what are we trying to do? Is it merely preserve the right for everybody to own a gun? 
or do we have a, a sort of view of the, yeah. of the of the good life right. that we're sort of striving toward? Yeah, that's a really, really good point. Well, so let's close with our usual question, mm. which is, what questions should Christians ask to examine their own hearts on this issue? Mm. Well, one question might be, am I motivated by fear or by love? Mm. Right? It's my desire to own a gun, own a weapon. It's because I'm afraid of my government or afraid of my neighbor or afraid of, you know, crime. Mm. Um, and, and, and so to ask ourselves, has God given me a spirit of fear but, or of power and sound mind and of love? Mm. Um, and so how much is neighbor love right. really driving my uh, participation in this, in this conversation? That, that'd be one question. Yeah. So I've got, I've got one other, um, and it's, it's related to a story I often tell. So I was teaching a, a few years ago, I was teaching a Sunday school class, and it was actually on Christianity and politics. Mm. So I'm trying to teach about how essentially the Bible only mandates a couple things, and then there's a freedom on a bunch of other things, right? So I'm basically making that point, and afterwards this gentleman comes up to me, um, and um, I'm kind of repeating, he asks about that point, and I repeat the point. I say, yeah, you know, there are some issues where the Bible's quite clear about kind of what it is, and I sort of name the usual ones. I talk about abortion, I talk about, I say abortion and homosexuality, and then he finishes my sentence. He says, yeah, and gun rights. <laughs> that for me, well, it was actually, it was, it was tribalism at work mm. in my mind, mm. right? So I think the question I think I'd like anybody thinking about this issue to ask themselves is, if I'm for sort of, you know, that side of the spectrum, am I doing it because, for biblical reasons, mm -hmm. to promote human flourishing, because mm -hmm. I think it is my best conception of the good life, or am I doing it because the culture and the people around me are all doing it, mm. right? And mm. they all kind of share that sense. My team says this, mm -hmm. right? I, I think particularly, I mean, you know, there are some issues are more kind of culturally resonant than others. Guns is one of them, mm. right? right? This no, idea right. of gun culture. That's right. And so I think, you know, again, and I say this, you know, with all, as much humility as I can muster, because I do not, I'm not of gun culture, so I don't have as much kind of invested in it, it's easier for me to say this mm -hmm. than for someone who grows up around it, mm -hmm. right? But my plea to that person would be, how much, how much are you a product of your culture here, in this case, in your belief, versus a product of your Christian belief, your Christian culture, as it were? Mm -hmm. No, that's good. And, and maybe a final question is just sort of growing right out of what you're saying. Mm -hmm. Can I defend and explain my position from the Bible? Always a good question. Always a good question. So we're biblical Christians trying to live out the Bible and the whole counsel of God. Mm -hmm. um, can we at least sketch a defense and an articulation of our position from the Bible? Yeah. It's a good note to close on. Amen. All right. You want to close us in prayer? We'll be glad to. Lord, we do pray for our country and for our neighbors. We do pray, O oh Lord, that you would cause righteousness to shine like the noonday sun in our land. And we do pray that on an issue like this, where there are so many competing opinions and entrenched uh, perspectives, that you will enable us, O oh Lord, with humility and uh, with love to move toward one, of, one another um, and to arrive at decisions that really do promote the good life. Uh, we do pray, O oh Lord, that you would protect life in this country, mm. whether it is uh, life in the womb or life outside the womb. We certainly do pray that you would protect life from um, unnecessary, unrighteous gun violence, mm -hmm. oh Lord. Protect our schools and protect our neighborhoods. 
and we do ask, O oh Lord, that you would give our policymakers wisdom. We ask that you would give them listening ears, Lord. First of all, to listen to you, to hear your voice in these things. But then also to listen to the poignant voices of um, students like those from Parkland uh, and others, Lord, who are attempting to speak reason and wisdom. And then give our policymakers courage, O oh Lord, to make good and sound decisions. We, we don't pray for perfect decisions that await your kingdom. But we do ask, Lord, that you would lead us to good, sound conclusions about what what constitutes the good life uh, and what then rights we should cherish and protect um, and how to apply those rights. Uh, we'll do this if you help us, Lord, if you give us grace. Please do for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.